Hello Internet, my name's Jonathan Cook. And I'm Matt Noble. And in this week's Screen Verdict podcast, we're going to be reviewing House of Cards. Mmm, and I'll be telling you what I really think after I give my opinions. Oh wait, I did just what I really think too. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll do House of Cards theme, just like, so you really think. Yeah, but we already talked to the audience, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really work for our podcast. Well, this is the first season of a TV show. And with first seasons of TV shows, what we like to do is spend the first part of the podcast just talking about generally what our thoughts are, giving a bit of a review, letting people know if they should check it out. Spoiler free. Spoiler free, where we don't spoil anything. And then get into a bit more in-depth spoiler discussion uh, afterwards. When we uh, go into that, we'll give a big warning and, and let you know. The biggest of spoiler warnings. Yes. The best, if you yeah, will. Yes. People love our spoiler warnings. They were always telling us about that. Okay. So House of Cards, it's a show released on Netflix. Yes, yeah, so not a show, not your regular show, because Netflix is not a channel. But they're making shows now. Yes. Netflix is, a, a, I think, a rental sort of thing, or where you, or streaming's thing, where you will get a movie or you get a TV show and you stream it for when you want to watch it. So Unless you're in Australia. Yeah, we don't have it. They won't show. let you. No. You, you'd have thought that was the beauty of the internet. Yeah. But no, Netflix is like, we're not going to provide you this service. No. Hulu, they don't provide us their services either. No, no. So, nationalism getting in the way of uh, <laughs> us enjoying TV. But, yeah. We got, beat the system. Yeah. <laughs> we watched it somehow. We found it. We tracked it down. And it, they, what they do, though, is they release all the episodes for the show on the same day. It's like, bam, here's 13 episodes of House of Cards. Go mental. <laughs> Scratch your plans for February 1. You're going to yeah. be watching 13 episodes <laughs> yeah. of House of Cards. <laughs> do you think we're a bit behind the eight ball in not doing this, this season review on February 2nd? <laughs> When we were scheduling the podcast, you said, House of Cards is coming out Wednesday. Do you want to do the podcast Thursday? Yeah. Uh, well, I probably will have watched it all by then. Yeah. But I need a little time to process it. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, we're coming now with it. Um, so, hopefully, uh, some people have had a chance to watch the show. Watch all the... It's binge viewing. So, who's involved in the show, Matt? Well, a few people that you might be more familiar with in movies. Mm. Again... Making the move up to television, <laughs> stepping up. The Glenn Close path to success. Yes. Someone behind the camera and someone in front of the camera. Behind the camera, you've got David Fincher. This is a guy, a pretty uh, acclaimed guy. Yeah, we talked about him in our Girl with Dragon Tattoo podcast. Mm-hmm. He did a great job on Social Network. Yeah, I'm a fan of Fincher. I like the show, Social Network. Seven, Fight Club. Yes, he did Fight Club. <laughs> Matt loves Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> Zodiac was all right, too. And now he's doing TV. Will yeah. that be all right? Mm. And in front of the camera, we've got Kevin Spacey. Two-time Oscar winner. Yeah. for uh, His lead was for American Beauty. I thought he was great in American Beauty. And Kevin Spacey, also not bad at uh, song and dance. <laughs> he sang in uh, his first directorial debut, uh, Beyond the Sea. Not something we can replicate for you on the podcast. I was going to do a dance, but no one can. Uh, do you want to sing? Do you want to do that? Somewhere beyond the sea. <laughs> Isn't Somewhere that a song? waiting for me. Yes, it's a song. It's the song in Beyond the Sea. I don't know. You're liable just to make up a tune and then say the title of the movie. <laughs> it's a Bobby Darren song. In House of Cards, he's a politician. Mm. He's a US congressman. Hmm. Now, the West Wing had led me to believe politicians were idealistic people (laughs) who got into it because they wanted to serve the people and be loyal and look out for each other and things. Yeah, this show has more of a Fincher tone than a Sorkin tone. Yeah. It's more about the dark underbelly of the political world than the idealistic take on it. Hmm. Yes. Washington's a pretty dirty business. The House of Cards leads me to believe. Yes, well, the premise of the show is that a new president has just been elected and apparently 
Kevin Spacey, who plays the character Frank Underwood, helped him get elected. He was sort of yeah. key in that, and he was promised the position of Secretary of State. Yeah. Biggie. Mm. And then after the president wins the election, there's a little bit of reshuffling of what they want to do with certain positions, and Frank Underwood is no longer being made Secretary of State. And basically, this series just follows his plan of revenge. Yeah. In order to go from this position of being screwed over to get what he wants. It's pretty much like the show Revenge, but with, like, old old politicians. <laughs> and through this, we see all the ins and outs of politics and how you can manipulate people and use people and things like that. Yeah. So who are some of the characters involved in this political power play? Well, we have Kim Spacey's Frank Underwood, the main guy, and he plays the uh, the whip. Mm. Mm. Don't get too excited, listeners. It's a political <laughs> position. Um, <laughs> despite the sound effect I just added, which is not of a political position. <laughs> yeah. So, um... And I, I, I guess it's sort of trying to get votes and sort of managing things sort of on that end. That's what the whip's job is. <laughs> um, moving right along. Uh, and he's got a wife, uh, Robin Wright, which... Um, so, uh, Claire Underwood. Yeah, so she helps him out and things. They've got a pretty good relationship in some ways, these two. They always sort of tell each other what's going on, support each other politically and things. Yeah, they're very serious. And they seem like a team. It doesn't seem like she's just supportive of what he does. It seems like she's involved. Like, they do this together. Like, his political career is their political career. And the thing that she can do with her charity and things are often helping his cause. He always refers to them as we, whenever yeah. he's talking about himself. Like, he's even talking about himself and what he's doing. He always refers to the we, the collective, when he's with her. Would that get annoying if you were in a relationship... And your partner's always referring to, like, you as we. Like, you know, she's got a university exam that day or something like that, and she's like, we're going to get a good mark. Like, <laughs> It's like Buster in Arrested Development referring to him and Lucille too. It's our nausea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This it seems like, they, like they're quite supportive in that way. But as you said, they're not really having heaps of fun, this couple. No, it seems like their form of stress relief is exercise. She runs a lot. And that seems stressful, though, because she gets told off for running through a graveyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have no respect? <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, then she thinks he needs some exercise. Uh, so she buys him a rowing machine. Do you think it's a bit... Like of a delicate, uh, delicate operation, getting your partner an exercise thing. Not only for these two, because they're so open. Mm. Like some people might be like, "Oh, does that mean you think I'm out of shape?" Or yeah. like mm. it's some sort of underhanded thing. But Claire and Frank would probably just say, "Yes, it is because you're out of shape. Yeah. Now get to work." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It also seemed like quite an ancient rowing machine, didn't it? It didn't sound like the one you'd order on TV. Seemed like there were like wooden parts and the rowing machine is getting a surprising <laughs> amount of airtime. Okay, okay, moving along, moving along. You got Zoe Barnes, who's a reporter, up and coming reporter. Yes, is it at the Washington Herald? Something like that. It's definitely the Herald of some type. Your old school type of newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a ceiling. It seems like she's new. They're not giving her heaps of responsibility. Sort of makes sense when you're new to an organisation. You're not going to be, you know, running the news. You're not You're not going to get promoted like Alison Pill in newsroom. <laughs> uh, you're probably going to have to do stuff at the bottom for a bit. So she meets Kevin Spacey and he sort of starts to maybe give her a bit of information that she can maybe use to help her career, maybe help him get some information out. So... This is sort of interesting. Why do you think Kevin Spacey chose her to be the reporter? Well, he wanted someone he could control. Mm. And I guess he maybe thought 
She was sort of young, easier to manipulate. Also, Kate Mara, not the worst thing to look at while you're leaking government information. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Bingo. Um, (laughs) Speaking of other vulnerable people Frank likes to control, there is Congressman Peter Russo, who isn't as nice to look at as Kate Mara. (laughs) I found a surprising amount of people refer to him as handsome in the yeah. show. Yeah. When, for a television actor, I thought he was just a sort of normal-looking guy. Yeah. Like, if you have Brad Pitt in the House of Cards, everyone could be like, oh, there's that handsome congressman. Do people just love sucking the balls of congressmen? What does he me suck up to? Like, like, you're a congressman, everyone's telling you you're handsome and things like that. Well, in one case, he literally does ask for that. Oh, <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, maybe seems like your congressman maybe bumps you up a couple points. I think Frank Underwood's doing all right with Claire. Yeah. Peter Russo's doing all right with Christina. Doesn't seem yeah. to hurt your chances. He doesn't look too bad with, like, a shirt off. Like, he looks pretty well built, doesn't he? <laughs> But I'm not sure if he's rocking the balls, like, sort of look. The big ears, no hair look. I like the fact that he's committed to the bald look, though. Yeah. Whereas Doug, Frank's sort of chief of staff, is kind of holding on to having some sort of hair, even though it's clearly all receding. Yeah. Peter's recognised that, and he's just like, I'm taking it all off. I think that's the move when you're you're that far into baldness. Hmm. Which is also his uh, sort of philosophy when he's around women. I'm taking it all off. <laughs> Get me some of that Denzel Washington powder from flight and let us go nuts. <laughs> Denzel Washington powder. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, from flight. From flight. It's <laughs> uh, too long. It takes too much explanation. No. <laughs> so, um, any other characters in this show? There's the president. There's the president's chief of staff. She's a woman. Frank sort of helped her get the job, so they've got an interesting relationship. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. There's lots of people, but they're sort of the main ones. In our spoiler discussion, a couple of other characters might come up when we get to that. Uh, But you had a a fun idea, Jonathan. We haven't done a screw, marry, kill in a long time, and that's always a bit of fun. And you came up with a combo. Yeah, I thought some of the Screen Verdict listeners might be missing a Screw, Mary Kill, so we've decided to throw one out there. Oh, yeah. We have Kate Mara as Zoe Barnes. Okay, so Zoe Barnes. That's one. Robin Wright as Claire Underwood. There's two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kristen Connolly as Christina Gallagher. Who is the girlfriend of Peter Russo. Yeah. So it's Christina, Zoe, or Claire. Do you want me to give my answer first? Okay. Okay, well, it's pretty, this is pretty easy for me. Oh, okay. Pretty easy for me. I think um, Christina is a really... She's really a nice person. She's wanting to do the right thing. I haven't seen anything from her that's bad other than maybe she's a little weak, maybe. You know, hopefully in the right relationship, she'll find her own voice and get a bit stronger in things. Uh, so I'd marry her, yeah. Christina. I would definitely screw Zoe Barnes. She's pretty nice. Well, she's attractive. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll kill Claire Underwood. It seems like she's not only... Is this ageism, Matt? No, well, no. She's very cold. She's not a very happy person. And it seems like some of the stuff she does about charity and things aren't necessarily... Like, it seems like she's a pretty self-involved, narcissistic person. Like, I... <laughs> We're self-involved narcissistic people, is how she'd describe it. Yeah. Yes. So, so uh, yeah, kill her. Yeah, I'm thinking we've seen what it's like to be married to Claire, mm. and I'm not really sure that would be my ideal experience of marriage. Zoe Barnes seems pretty cool. She's pretty clever, pretty attractive, but uh, I don't know how trustworthy she is. No. Playing a lot of games. Yeah. She might be seeing some old dudes behind my back. Yeah. (laughs) And Christina, she seems very nice, very caring, very attractive as well. Doesn't date the best guys, though. I'm not sure what that says, if she's 
drawn to the people with the alcohol and drug addiction. Yeah. But I think we're going to have to agree with you. Yeah. Kill Claire, screw Zoe, marry Christina. Okay. Let's do another screw, marry, kill. Another screw, marry, kill. This one could be fun. Um, Say a little more. uh, Let's be gender equal. (laughs) Frank Underwood, Peter Russo, Doug Stamper. Well, everyone else is saying Peter's so attractive, so I'm a little worried that I'd be missing out on something if I were to uh, not sleep with Peter. Mm. I'm not sure I'd want to marry someone with so many problems, though. Frank seems like he'd be very supportive. (laughs) Yes. It's very goal-oriented. He'd be able to provide for the family Mm. more so than the guy who works for this guy. Yeah. And even though I might not agree with everything he does, he'd be very open about it. Mm. But the bad things that he does, Doug's sort of involved in. But in some ways, I feel like Doug's like a generally more caring kind of person. Mm. This is a tricky one. I'm going to marry Doug, screw Peter, kill Frank. Yeah, that's what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was being a bit controversial yeah. by killing Frank. I think Doug. You agreed with me. I think Doug's the nice guy, the nicest guy of the three. I think Peter's got the most experience and isn't like really old. And Frank isn't really the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> like, I don't think. but anyway, Frank's my favorite character on the show of those three, though. <laughs> and speaking of Frank, uh, this is a huge thing in. House of Cards, Frank talking to the audience. We are in some ways characters in this show that Frank is filling us in. He's very proud of his schemes. He's very proud of what he's doing. He wants to share them with someone other than his wife, and it's us. Yes, House of Cards has a little bit of an interesting style to it where not only is there a narrator talking to the audience, not only does he talk actually to the camera, he will do it in the middle of a scene. Mm. So he can have dialogue with someone else. And then while that person is still in the room, Frank can just turn to the camera and talk to us. Yeah. But they don't see or notice that, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, he'll be like, oh, that's very well, Mr. Secretary. And then he'll turn to the camera and go, little does he know that this is a game and I'm going to make a move and he's going to not know where he's going to be because he's not a wolf. And I'm (laughs) in a pack. And the shots circling because Washington's a dirty game. You can't trust anyone. Just stuff like that. You really just <laughs> like start telling us. The best part of that was just, it was just sort of sentence of non sequiturs from not quite almost quotes from the show yeah. that you just mashed together. Now, I wasn't much of a fan of your governor accent. Yeah. In our Walking Dead podcast. I think anyone that is remotely southern, you do this over-the-top, drawn-out, molasses-type accent. You know, I've got this Frank Underwood man. And you were telling me, you were, you were doing the impersonation on the phone. I was like, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> now, I don't normally do accents, but I've tried to practice my own Frank Underwood. Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> In order to highlight how far off I think Matt's is. But if it goes wrong, I lose my position of power in order to be able to make fun of Matt. We should have a poll whose Frank a Underwood poll. impression is, is better. All right, let's put even more pressure on it. Yeah. All right, but my version goes something more... It's a little more subtle, you see. <laughs> you don't want impressions to be subtle. <laughs> it's more along the lines of, my name's Frank Underwood. Let me tell you three things. One... Vote your district. Two, vote your conscience. Three, do not surprise me. I love that woman more than a shark loves blood. Okay. There you go. That's my impression. Okay, here we go. I think my impression's better. Um, (laughs) Paul! 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 (laughs) But I think you had a better, like, you said something that made, like, more sense. (laughs) He actually said in the Yeah, yeah, you had an actual quote. Um, we'll let, we'll let the, uh, screen verdict listeners decide. You do not mess with me. Hey, and you can't I, just I, try I, and add in another one. I'm going to be imp- doing impressions of him all episodes, oh, all, all podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> this one segment will be done in Frank Underwood in person. Yeah, fr- we've got Frank Underwood doing the, uh, two Frank Underwoods doing the spoilers. Like, okay. Um, what, do, do you like the talking to camera? I was a little divided on it. 
at first I was like, okay, it's a bit different. I like how we're interacting with him and without revealing too much, you get little snippets into what he's thinking and what the plan might be. But sometimes it was a little cheesy. I think on its own, the style can work. It was more just the dialogue that he used at the time that made me think it was working or not working. Mm. I think you get used to it, though. It's definitely used enough in the show for you to think this is just a part of House of Cards. And in the second half of the season, you don't really think too much of it. Yeah. Were you a fan of this? Uh, No. Um, (laughs) Although I didn't mind it as much by the end of the season as I did at the beginning. I sort of, I guess, understood it as part of the language of the show by the end, and it wasn't as annoying. But, yeah, I generally do not like narration and being told as an audience member. I think Arrested Development, it worked brilliantly. So I'm not saying it can't be done well, but, you know, I, I you know I find Dexter's narration annoying, just telling us stuff that they can't tell us any other way. Uh, although I think Dexter's did work for about a season or, or two. Like, I just think it, he ran out of stuff to tell us. <laughs> um, I found, like, Scrub, Zach Braff's narration quite annoying. I generally don't like this, although it's part of the show... Yeah, we'll talk about that in the verdict, I guess. Do we want to get to the verdict now? Yes, let's give House of Cards a verdict. Okay, now, firstly, I guess I'll just continue the thought I was finishing with my... uh, I feel like this show would be better if there was a slight less focus on Frank Underwood and he also had a rival of some description. I think damages work really well when you had, like, Paddy versus Arthur Frobisher, and you got to see the moves two people were making against each other. And the focus was definitely on Paddy Hughes. It was definitely her show. But I quite like that sort of the chess game of politics and legal cases and things where you get to see, you know... It just seemed like Frank was was sort of playing on his own. And maybe in season two we'll get a bit more of a rivalry, perhaps. Uh, maybe. But... I thought the beginning set things up quite interestingly. He's out for revenge. And then I feel the middle of the season lags quite a lot, where it's sort of like there's a couple of standalone episodes. He's now focused on a governor's race or an education bill or things like that. Like, they just seem to not have anything to do with the revenge or anything. It just seems like, oh, now we're just like looking at Frank Underwood be a politician, be the whip. And I was a bit like, I'm not that interested in that because he's not a particularly likable character. I want to see him, you know, the knives out. Then at the end of the season, it sort of all comes together and you can see that not everything, but some things were part of a bigger plan. And I found that really interesting. And I think the last about maybe three episodes I found great and actually made the previous episodes a bit better. So... Not the strongest show in the world. It's not my favourite drama series, but I really liked where it went and it's different to other things on TV. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Mm. House of Cards. I was getting into it at the start. I like political shows and I like the fact that you had this guy out for revenge and he was going to have all these secret plans to manipulate people to get what he wanted. And I thought things with the... Secretary of State nomination and the education bill, really interesting. But I think things slowed after a while, and there were quite a few filler episodes. And I think in a season of only 13 episodes, you shouldn't have filler. Like the one where he goes back to his hometown, the one where they open the library in his name. I thought these were pretty boring episodes. So, Yeah. yeah, I didn't think there was much excuse for that. I thought the relationship with his wife was sort of interesting. I like thought things with Zoe were sort of interesting. But every now and again, I thought, where's the plot actually going here? Is is this actually as clever as I thought it first was? Mm. And then you'd get a moment of some cheesy dialogue to the camera, and I'd have this big swing where all of a sudden i go, wait a minute, is this show actually really crap? Yeah. So it was a little strange being so torn as to whether I was enjoying the show or not. I think it definitely picked up towards the end, and as you learn more about Frank's underlying plan, I think that was really interesting, but... But I guess the pacing and some of the plot things that happened in the back half as well, I thought were a little iffy, and I lost a little bit of my enthusiasm for the show. I'm going to give season one of House of Cards a 6.5 out of 10. Okay. You know what it's time for? Spoilers. Spoiler discussion. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Woo! Woo! 
Okay. There's going to be spoilers now. <laughs> Let's talk about some of uh, Frank's political dealings. I think that's the most interesting part of the show. First couple of episodes is pretty much him just screwing over the Secretary of State nominee. Yeah, he basically blackmails Peter into getting someone that Kern used to write a paper with to say that he wrote something controversial. Yeah. And obviously Kern doesn't deal with this very well and the media ends up offending Palestinians, Israelis, it all just yeah. blows up in his face. Yeah. And he ends up losing the nomination. Mm. So did you feel a bit sorry for the Secretary of State? Like, you know, it wasn't his choice to screw over Frank. Yeah, we didn't really get to meet him much. Like, he didn't do anything wrong, but I didn't really get to know if he was a really good guy, so therefore felt sorry for him when he got screwed over. Yeah. Or he was a bad guy. It's like, yeah, Frank, screw him over. Yeah. I guess I did want him to screw get screwed over just because Frank's the main character and you're supporting Frank, I guess. Do you know what I, 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 I thought when I was watching this show? Do you know who Frank reminded me of? Al Swanson? No. Omar Little. Really? From The Wire. Why is that? Okay. Because I think Omar Little has the rule of, uh, like, he's a he's a bad guy. He does a lot of bad things, Omar Little. But he's very, um, when it comes to, he will only hurt people that are in the game yeah. of drug dealing. So if you're in this business, this drug dealing business, gloves off. <laughs> if you're an innocent person that isn't involved at all, Omar Little's got a very high code of not killing them or whatever. Yeah. It seems like Frank's similar in the sense of if you are in politics, if you're in Washington, gloves off. <laughs> You've entered this business, I can do what I want. But he doesn't really do things to screw over people who aren't already in the game. Other than indirectly through legislation. But <laughs> <laughs> like the twelve thousand yeah, people yes. that lost their jobs in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But you know, because of that deal, there were another, like, tens of thousands of people who got their jobs in another district somewhere. <laughs> so, like, you know, when Frank opens a door, he closes a window or whatever. <laughs> well, something else he does is pass the education bill. Yeah. Now, the president wants this done in 100 days. Yeah. Like, that's his sort of platform to yeah. winning people over. I will have the education bill on the floor within a hundred days of office. Yeah. But it seems like a bit of a task because the person responsible for drawing it up is a bit of a hippie. He's a bit too left wing to get this passed very easily. Yeah. So Frank gets the copy of the first draft of the bill and leaks it. Yeah. In order to make this guy look like a hippie and he ends up getting taken off it, and Frank gets put in control. Yeah. So he's able to take all the credit for when it goes through. Yeah. Good move. That's a guy I felt a bit sorry for. He was just very naive, very innocent, just an idealist that just completely got manipulated by Frank. It's the game, yo. Yeah. It's the game. <laughs> but he also didn't hate Frank at the end of that, because Frank made it seem in a way that Frank was helping him. That's the best con. Yeah. Where the mark doesn't even know they've been conned. Yeah. I've helped this Nigerian prince. <laughs> they are fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get the education bill passed, like, it gets into a bit of trouble where there's, like, the unions are really upset with what Frank's trying to do and things. And, like, his final strategy is just to get the guy, the union guy, to punch him in the face. <laughs> like, I don't know what would have happened if the guy didn't punch him in the face. Yeah, Frank seems to put a lot at risk or have a lot at stake at being able to read people. Mm. And in the end, he usually comes through. But in that case, the problem only came about in the first place was because he pushed that guy too far and yeah. he misread him in the yeah. first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the thing with the bricks was pretty good. He threw a brick oh, yes. through his own window, mm. and then he got a bunch of protesters to go with, like, foam bricks to the protesters, but then when they got in a fight with the union people, the union people started throwing, like, real punches, even though the bricks were only foam, so they yeah. came off as the bad guys yeah, in the yeah. news. And it was great when they had the fancy fundraiser, uh, and they get... Uh, the, the guy's gotten protesters to protest the fancy fundraiser and Frank comes and gives them all food. For <laughs> and the teamsters can't turn down yeah. the food. 
<laughs> so that's good. So they get through the education bill, and then Frank moves on to something else, which was a bit interesting. All of a sudden, this this whip uh, decides he wants to get involved in the race for Pennsylvania governor. Yeah, I was wondering for a while why he was putting so much time and effort into making Russo the governor. Because, yeah, he's sort of got a bit of a hold on him because he knows about some of his secrets. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the governor position of Pennsylvania is not that powerful. Why does Frank need that so badly? And they kept on justifying it with the sort of, like, well, he can make absent, like, appointments to the Congress, which could change the majority if there's a by-election. It seems like, yes, it could be quite important, but it might not be. It did all make sense after a while, but for a few episodes, yeah. I was... Yeah. Yeah, so you've really got Russo is completely at the beck and call of Frank. Because Frank got him out of jail when he got arrested for being a prostitute or speeding or drink, drink driving. driving. Drink driving. It was drink driving, but he was also with a prostitute at that time. He's obviously got drug problems. Frank was able to... He completely controlled this guy, so much so that he didn't even ask a question when they were trying to close a plant with, with 12,000 jobs in his district. So, In some ways, Peter, you kind of like him, and when he falls short with his drinking problem, you sort of go, well, you know, that's a problem that people deal with, and you're not necessarily a bad guy, but why was he cheating on Christina with the prostitute? Like, Christina's beautiful, she's a really awesome girlfriend. Drug, yeah, when do you, you, when do you, you need use, to cheat? When like? you use drugs and, like, heaps of alcohol and stuff, you... Like, aren't thinking straight. You just do stupid things. But it doesn't excuse it, right? No, 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 it doesn't excuse it at all. But I'm saying, like, that... Like, He's still a bit of a bad guy. Whenever he gets mad at Frank, I'm like, you're completely responsible for this problem. <laughs> like, if you didn't, like, do drugs and sleep with prostitutes, Frank would have no leverage over you. <laughs> like, you're completely to blame for this. Yeah, like, you can get mad at him for being unfair to you, for jerking you around and stuff, but it's you who has put yourself in this position. <laughs> you made the bed for yourself, Peter Russo. Now lie in it. So I, I didn't actually, I, I, and I As he was running for governor, I started to like him more, as he sort of had... Because he did seem passionate about his district yeah. and making a change and that sort of and thing. And he did get... Like, he did start to stop using and be faithful and things like that. So I, I then got on board with him more. But, yeah, at the beginning of the season, I'm like, yeah, I feel a bit sorry for the guy because he's in such a bad situation. But, really, who does he have to blame for this? Not Frank. Himself. They put him up for governor, and they sort of say that he's had problems with alcohol, sort of get ahead of the story and sort of make it sound like a good comeback story. A fresh start. That's always good move for media management. Get ahead of the story. Yeah. Don't let other people fight. Just get and frame it in the way you want to frame it. So that's really, really clever. But unfortunately, he falls off the wagon again. He's at a fundraiser. A pretty girl comes up to him, starts flirting with him, gives him the key to her room. I thought this was a test. Frank and Doug have put so much time and effort into Peter, they don't want him to fall down at the last minute. So they get the girl, who he somehow doesn't recognise, even though he was she was the prostitute that he got caught in the car with. He doesn't recognise her. And I thought Doug sent her... Was that the same girl? Yeah. Oh, I didn't recognise her. That's why when she's, like, undressing him, she's like, do I look familiar to you? Oh. I thought that was a test. So he'd send her a pretty girl, try and get him to drink, and if, like, he doesn't... Doug would just, like, pop out from, like, behind the pot plant and like, well done, Peter, you've passed. You've passed our test. I was the sponsor hiding in the corner, just checking up on you. You can now be governor. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, like, an audience. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, the plan was actually... Well, if it was a test, he failed. Yeah. <laughs> so she's pouring, like, alcohol all over him. This is, it's really turned into, uh, to, again... Like, Denzel Washington's hotel room from flight. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that this was their plan to get him drunk so he would either not be able to make the interview the next morning or take the interview drunk and stuff it up. And he took the interview drunk. He sounded a disaster on air. Oh, no. 
the governor of Pennsylvania role so important, and it's like the last stages of the campaign. There's no way they could get someone to fill in. Like, who could they get to fill in? Because <laughs> he has to step down. Well, maybe the former governor. What's oh. he doing now? <laughs> Not much, even though he's the <laughs> vice president. <laughs> the VP doesn't seem to be taken seriously by the president, isn't getting any jobs, isn't being consulted on anything. They don't even give him, like, they even put him off camera when there's, like, a bill signing with the president. They were, like, some cute little kid. I love that scene where, like, But he refuses to move. Yeah. I thought that was so funny, like, he's like, no, I'll fight the kid for this one. Yeah, yeah. Imagine just a vice president just, like, front kicking this, like, little eight-year-old black kid in the face. Yeah, yeah. So, so the vice president eventually agrees to run for governor. Yes, it seems like a step down, but he enjoyed being the governor and it would be seen as him doing a great service. Hero move. Yeah, like, we can't lose this race. He's really popular. We need you to go back and and make sure we win that governorship race for the Democrats. Yeah, so could be hero move. And hopefully, uh, and they sort of frame it, it doesn't look like the president's throwing out of the bus because the president will um, keep you on as vice president if you lose the race. Yes. So it's not like he wants to get rid of you. (laughs) Yeah. There's two problems to this. They need a new vice president. And second problem, they've still got to wait for Russo to resign. And Russo's gone into He's hiding. He's disappeared. He's, He's off the wagon. Yeah. Now, this creates probably the most controversial scene of the season. Yes. A scene that was maybe good television because I was reacting to it. I knew it was going to happen. I was getting really tense and I was like, no. But then when it did happen, I was like, oh, I really didn't like that. Okay, so they they event Frank is able to track down Russo. He gives him a lift home, and Russo is so drunk and tired he falls asleep in the car. And Frank sees an opportunity. Yes, he takes the opportunity to get rid of Russo by leaving Russo in a closed parking spot in the garage with the car engine still running, so the exhaust fumes fill up the car and Russo will die. Yeah, so he kills Russo. He kills Russo! He kills Russo. And then escapes in the world's best disguise known to man, a hat. A baseball cap, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The old baseball cap. (laughs) So you didn't like that he killed Russo? Well, I get that Frank is this sort of cutthroat guy that's willing to do anything to win the game, but when I consider the word anything in my head, anything doesn't really include murder. Yeah. I thought that was too far. It makes it hard for me to root for Frank anymore once he's murdered someone. A guy that didn't really deserve to die. He wasn't the best guy, but he definitely didn't deserve to be murdered. Yeah. Uh, He definitely didn't deserve to be murdered. I liked it, though, (laughs) because I thought, this is a big move. This is... He's cross... I didn't really like Frank anyway. I think he was a good guy anyway. So I'm like, you know, I just want to see him making big moves. I guess I'd compare this to Breaking Bad, where Walter White sort of does some bad things and then he crosses a line, and initially I didn't like it, but I guess now, five seasons into Breaking Bad, I'm just enjoying Walter White being the bad guy. Yeah. So maybe I'll come to like this in Frank if if I just accept him as the bad guy, but at the time, I thought, no, he's crossed that line. Mm. Yeah, so I thought that was really awesome. Um... (laughs) And then Frank wants to be the vice president nominee. That's his end game. That's what he's been gunning for the whole season, setting up the board so that he can take vice president. You know, he delivered on the education bill. He's been uh, the trusted ally of the president through all these different storms and everything. He's the guy the president's going to want to want. But no, the president wants this billionaire, millionaire guy to to be the vice president so he sends frank over to vet him but it was a ruse it was really the billionaire millionaire that was vetting frank (laughs) which frank figures out in about half a day (laughs) so then he tries to like screw over the billionaire millionaire because he doesn't like that someone's got power over him well the billionaire basically wants control over frank he wants him to write him a blank check but frank is smart enough and strong enough to go, nah. Yeah. Like, even if you don't give me, give your recommendation to the president, I'm not going to give you that much power over me. I had a move for Frank here. Yeah. I would have gone to the... Tattle on the... Yeah, I would have just gone to the president. 
So I went to vet this guy, and I thought he was pretty good. And then last night he said, the president's asked me to vet you. If and he's asked, uh, he, he said he'll give me a good review if you, uh, so he, he, if yeah, if I'll <laughs> just do whatever he wants and yeah, he's he's trying to play you. I guess the risk there is you don't know how good a friend this guy is to the president. Like the president might even be aware of that. Like he might be so close with this guy. He's like, yeah, you, even if he catches on to you, you know, you. But then doesn't Frank sort of pass a test of being honest to the president? Maybe. Or maybe the president just wants a VP that'll do what he wants him to do. I don't know. I think it would just show loyalty to the president, that move. Yeah, it could work. Could go. I think it's definitely a less risky move than trying to blackmail the friend of the... Well, he didn't try to blackmail him. He just demanded to be... If they entered a partnership together, that they can be considered equals. Which I thought was reasonable and a a strong play. So anyway, it works. He gets off with the vice presidency. Yay. Yay. Very good. Good job, Frank. You did it. And then the season ends. But not before the phone rings. Because, okay, we've got to get into a bit of this Zoe Barnes, Frank stuff. Because Frank is helping out Zoe Barnes, but they start sleeping together. Which at first I was like, oh, I thought... It was interesting to see how good a relationship you had with your wife. You know, like, normally in these shows, that strong lead character goes off and cheats and whatnot. Yeah. Whereas here, you thought these were a strong couple. Yeah. But he goes and cheats anyway, and at first I was like, oh, no, don't do that. But it turns out she knows and he tells her all about Zoe. Yeah, we find out, like, five episodes later. She, like, sees Zoe. Oh, yeah, you've been sleeping with my husband. I know that. Yeah, got rid of the spiders or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they start sleeping together. I did think there was a scene where um, Frank gives uh, Zoe fellatio. And <laughs> While she's talking to her dad on the yeah, phone. Yeah, I'm talking to her dad on the phone. And she's, to me, she seemed to climax pretty early. Like, I thought she is either faking it or he is very good at fellatio. <laughs> right? I think that's just TV time, man. Like... You can't just have, like, an eight-minute sex scene. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then a couple of episodes later, she's claiming she was faking it. Is that just a move when relationships are going sour? The girl just goes, well, I was faking it. Yeah, I think that's a very bitter thing to do. I don't really understand faking it. I think, what are you getting out of that? Like, surely, if things aren't working for you, you can discuss it and make some adjustments. I think... Like, you're the one that's losing out if you have to fake it. Well, I think if you're the wife, uh, then yes. I think that's the move. (laughs) I think if you're the mistress, like, he's already got a wife you can go back to. She's sort of relying on him for information and... It's sort of more, this is a way for power. and Well, yeah, if you're doing like, it purely yeah. for the information and you yeah. don't even care about enjoying the sex, then maybe. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think, like, she could have been walking on thin ice. Let's workshop this sex stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's get uh, Helen Hunt in as a sex therapist to walk us through this. Anyway, this whole brouhaha leads to her starting to go, hey, Let's have a bit look into this Frank Underwood character. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's try to put these pieces together. So she meets up with the the person from her the Herald that is they, they, they move to a blog very quickly. Like I thought it'd be interesting. You got the papers, you got the politics, but no, it's now just all blogs. The blog team start piecing together all the things. They get someone from the Herald to help them out. I don't know. He's working just off hours. He's always sleeping with him too, probably. Yeah, talk about climaxing too early. How about falling in love? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's been this super sneaky person, like, sleeping with Frank, and then she just rocks up at his house, and then, like, two days later, he's like, oh, I'm so angry because I'm in love with you. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, come on, man. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> so, um, so that's pretty funny. Um <laughs> Uh, so then they start piecing together, and long story short, they pretty much uncover the whole plot of season one of House of Cards in the final episode. Yes, they're able to contact the girlfriend of the guy that lied about Kern. They're able to find out about the prostitute that Russo was caught with, and yeah. they think that someone must have gotten Russo out of jail. Mm. And that was Frank. 
But why would they run him for governor unless they wanted him to fail and they put everything together? It hits the fan for Frank as far as them finding stuff out. So this is sort of where the season ends. You've got Zoe has found out everything about Frank and you've got Frank just getting offered the vice presidency uh, by the president if the Pennsylvania election goes to the current vice president. Zoe, I guess, could undo all of Frank's good work in a blog post. Do you think season two, we're going to see Frank versus Zoe? I think you will. And Frank does have a little bit of leverage over Zoe because he's got those naked pictures. Yeah. That seems like less leverage. I've got naked pictures of an up-and-coming journalist opposed to... I've got information that you sabotage the Secretary of State nomination process and, like, you're going to lose your vice presidency nomination. Yeah, but relative to each other is both of their reputations at stake. Yes. So he... I feel like somehow he's going to be able to delay Zoe or maybe try to offer Zoe something in return for this. Yeah. Yes, and but we know Frank hates people having leverage over him of any type. <laughs> like he is going to want to destroy her. I don't yeah, think he'll he, be he able killed to. Killed Peter for less. Yes, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. So when he finds out what Zoe's done, he might be wanting to revise his screw Mary kill of House of Cards season <laughs> one. <laughs> might be wanting to kill Zoe, have screwed Peter. Like that may have been the way to go. Season one, as you said, Frank said that. Friends make the worst enemies. Yeah. Do you reckon we'll be hearing in um, season two that maybe lovers make the worst enemies? <laughs> Friends with benefits make the worst enemies. <laughs> now, there's also stuff with Frank's wife and charity. I thought that was pretty boring, so maybe we shouldn't talk about that. I agree. Good. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's the House of Cards spoiler discussion. Yes, let's wrap this up with some housekeeping. Oscar review. Firstly, what do we think of Seth MacFarlane as host? I like Seth MacFarlane. I'm not a huge fan of him, but I thought he was generally fairly funny. Not everything landed, but I thought the monologue was pretty good and some of his other things worked. I didn't think he was controversial. I don't want to talk about the controversy. I didn't think it was misogynist. I didn't think it was crossing the lines. I think, if anything, he was making fun of people's expectations for him to cross lines. Yeah. It, yeah, it clearly wasn't controversial at all. <laughs> so I thought, was, I thought he did a solid job, is the word I used to describe. Not everything worked. He wasn't the greatest toast ever. But I thought he ent- he entertained me. He was funny. He had some good talent, singing and dancing. Yeah, I reckon solid job. The show was a disaster, though. There wasn't a single good presenter the whole show. The only, the only thing I remember being memorable from the presenters is when Mark Wahlberg opened the envelope and it was a tie. <laughs> and he said, no BS, it's a tie. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Other than that, like, the presenters were awful. Bond Tribute had no one who played James Bond, <laughs> even though for weeks the rumours have been that all the James Bonds would be at the Oscars for that. And this might not have been a negative in everyone's eyes, but there were so many songs. Just every bit was a musical bit. It's been 10 years since Chicago won Best Picture at the Oscars. And the people uh, producing the Oscars this year produced Chicago. So they wanted to remind people about the film they made. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure next year they'll do, you know, Celebration of Fantasy because it's 10 years since Lord of the Rings won. And then the next <laughs> year they'll do Celebration of Sports Movies since it's 10 years since Million Dollar Baby won. Like, <laughs> Just every year they'll just celebrate a film from 10 years ago as opposed to the films of this year. Anyway. If there's any way that the Oscars want to prove that they're current. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, what about the winners, though? Tarantino beat the Amore screenplay. Yes. (laughs) Christoph Waltz, one supporting actor. Yes. Anne Hathaway, one supporting actress. Expected, but I think deserved. Oh, Daniel Lewis won, expected. Good performance. I don't think we're too upset about that. Jennifer Lawrence won lead actress. Yes, she did it! How good is that? The best bit was when she fell over. How great is that? How great. That was great. And I don't think it's mean to... Like, that was a funny moment. <laughs> My favourite bit was Hugh Jackman. Lightning bolt to help her. 
I heard, I heard uh, when they were reading out Best Director that there was an old lady trying to cross the street outside the theatre and he sensed it and he was out there. <laughs> Missed the class act, Hugh Jackman. Now, someone that was complaining to me about Seth MacFarlane even complained about Hugh Jackman. They're like, oh, you don't need to be the knight in shining armour. She can get up on her own. I'm Which like, she oh. did, because by the time he got there, she had pretty much gotten up. But yeah, as if helping someone that's fallen over is, like, misogynistic. And isn't it nice to see, like, he's an A-list celebrity... And he just goes into the, oh, someone's fallen over, better go help her up. <laughs> You'd expect most celebrities to have someone to do that for them. John Travolta, excuse me, could someone help her up? Because <laughs> one of the seat fillers. Ang Lee won Best Director. Ang a little Lee. bit of an upset. Yeah, that was a little bit of an upset. Spielberg. What a loser. Like, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, it was meant to be his year when Oscar nominations came out, Lincoln leading the nominations, all the other films missed out on Best Director, so it looked like he was going to win Picture Director. It was going to be his year, and he just... Then all of a sudden, the tide turned against Argo, and everyone's, well, he'll get Director anyway. At least Ben Affleck's not nominated. Then that went to Ang Lee. What a poor guy, Spielberg. But whatever your thoughts about Life of Pi, pretty visually stunning film. So, mm. not a horrible win. And Argo won the Argo, yes. Best movie of the nine. They got it right. No. It was my fifth favourite. Yeah. <laughs> Argo, uh, very good. Good job, guys. Uh, but And how good was... If you haven't seen the Gen- Jennifer Lawrence press conference after, you put it on my Facebook wall yeah. and said, if you're not in love already... <laughs> and, boy, she's incredible. I would go out with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling it. <laughs> Though I called, the, I sort of called the fall. Someone asked me for my fashion advice during the Oscars, uh, my fashion tips during the Oscars, and I said, don't know what's going on with Jennifer Lawrence uh, below the waist with the dress. <laughs> with the dress, with the dress. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then, look, she falls. I pretty much call it. <laughs> Could I just say, I think Screen Verdict Podcasters was a bit ahead of the curve with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I think we were raving about Jennifer Lawrence well before her Oscar success this year and, and everything. Yeah, I think you saw Winter's Bone. Yeah. And we're a fan of that, and that's pretty early on in the uh, mm. Jennifer Lawrence career. And then we saw her both on the red carpet that year at the Oscars, and we <laughs> thought, keep an eye out for her. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of people are on the Jennifer Lawrence bandwagon post-Oscars this year. <laughs> Screen verdict, ahead of the curve again. So I think we've talked about Jennifer Lawrence enough in our <laughs> House of Cards podcast. It's time to catch a train. Yeah, trying to get the train. Can you give me a lift to the station? No. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'll uh, see you in the dirty Washington place. <laughs> no, uh, little does Jonathan know that him giving me a lift to the station is all part of my plan. The plan to... Destroy him. Vote for me. The number one Frank Underwood impersonator. Jonathan Cook. My impression is so much better than yours. Paul! It is Paul! Ridiculous. Paul! It is ridiculous. Paul! We're going to call it. <laughs> but you are insane that you think that's a, your one's better than mine. And by the way, this is Matt Noble, not Frank Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> okay.